So for a sermon text this morning, we're taking Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 to 6. Genesis 15, verses 1 to 6. But I want to read the whole of Genesis chapter 15. Uh, Before we read that, we'll pray and seek the Lord's blessing. Please join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, as we now worship you through sitting under your word, through hearing teaching from your word, Father, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that you would speak through me and to me. Father, may we be given ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to understand and obey. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 15, starting at verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Amen. May God bless his word to us. I'll just read again the first six verses that we're looking particularly at this morning. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. 
This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Amen. Abram. Abram believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abram was considered to be righteous. He took hold of that righteousness through faith. The Apostle Paul quotes that same text in Romans chapter 4, as we read earlier. Abram, thus far in Scripture, is the most fully developed character that we see in the Bible so far. Think of what we know of Adam or Seth or Moses or Abel. Sorry, not Moses. I meant to say Noah or Abel. All of the um, descendant, all of those who um, from whom Abram takes his descendants or his. Yeah, I think I'm using the right word. But anyway, we don't know much about them and we don't get told a whole lot about them. But concerning Abram. Well, he's been the centre subject for a good few chapters of Scripture now. We know where he was before he was called. We know of his response. We know of his struggles. We know of his troubles. We know of the development of his character. Remember, if you want to just open your Bibles quickly to the book of Joshua and chapter 24, remember that Abram was spoken of as being a descendant of idolaters. Joshua chapter 24, if you look at verse 2. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, and they served other gods. That collective, that collective noun, they applies to those who are mentioned beforehand, Terah, Abraham and Nahor. They served other gods. They served other gods. Abram started off not a convert. Abram started off not a man who had in any way earned God's favour. I just, we need to always remember this as we read about Abram and we You know, we could be um, tempted to think that he must have been some kind of amazing hero of a man whom God really loved. Well, look, God really loved him and God certainly made him a hero of the faith. But there was nothing in and of Abram himself that, that drew down that love of God, that saving, converting grace of God. The story of Abram is a story of a man being led forward in faith. God graciously building the man up, God graciously transforming the man. He started off on the wrong side of the river, so to speak, worshipping other gods. He was called to a land of promise and he responds in obedience. That's the beginning of the faith of Abraham. That's the beginning of his faith. He heard the call of God and he responded in obedience. But things have never been easy. It's never been a smooth and easy ride. When, when they get to the land, they, they walk straight into, it seems, to a, into a famine. He has to go elsewhere looking for food. 
And there was the issue of him allowing his wife to be taken into the Pharaoh's household. Then he has troubles with Lot, has to divide from his own kinsmen. Lot goes down into the fertile valley of the Jordan. And then there's warfare and he has to go to war and rescue his nephew Lot from those kings who had taken Lot hostage. Then he meets, finally he meets Melchizedek and Melchizedek is a priest of God Most High and Melchizedek pronounces a blessing on Abram. This life of faith, this life of growing in faith has not been easy and it has not been without its trials. But God is gracious and God is merciful and when God sets his saving love upon a person, God changes that person into what he wants them to be. He requires something of his servants, but everything that he requires of us, he gives to us. He he makes us what he wants us to be. As we consider this... um, chapter of the book of Genesis, and it's, it's a very important chapter. And as we consider that which is spoken of Abram and God's covenant promises to Abram, we've got to consider their importance directly to us. What's our relationship to Abram? Why does this matter to us? You need, we, we have to learn, we have to understand, we have to appreciate that the Christian faith didn't spring from nowhere. It didn't come out of nothing. You know, it, 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 is, it is the fulfilment of the revelation of God that had started way back in history. It would be wrong to say that the Christian faith is a branch of Judaism, just as it would be wrong to say that Judaism is a branch of the Christian faith. Yet we are the fulfilment of the promises that God made. The church is the fulfilment Jesus himself is the way that God has fulfilled all of his promises and promises were made to Abram. Scripture in any number of places speaks of us and our relationship to Abram. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. Starting at verse 1 of Galatians chapter 3. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified Let me ask you only this, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Our relationship to Abraham is in many ways analogous to Abraham's relationship with God. Abraham was justified by faith. Verse 6 of Galatians chapter 3. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. 
Paul then goes on to say, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Interesting. The Lord has taken Abraham, the Lord, we will see later, takes Abraham outside, gets him to look at the stars and says, so shall your offspring be. That's more than just the people of Israel, my friends. That's more than just the Jews. We're counted in Scripture as being the offspring of Abram. Many of the things that are said of Abram can be said of us. Look back into Genesis chapter 15 for a moment. Verse 1, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Now, those of you who've got a New King James or a King James Bible in front of you, it will say, I am your shield and your very great reward. The Lord himself being the very great reward. The Lord himself being Abram's reward. Abram's inheritance is God. Abram's inheritance is life in and with God. Turn to the book of Romans, chapter 4. Sorry, the book of Romans, chapter 8, I meant to say. Romans 8. Romans chapter 8, I'll read from verse 12. So then, brothers... We are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now read carefully. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And if children, verse 17, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We have an inheritance, my friends. We have a promised inheritance. You know what? There's wealth in the family. More wealth than the world can count. More wealth than the world can understand. More wealth than the world can muster. We have an inheritance. It's beyond measure. We've got a greater inheritance than the billionaires of the world can give us. We come from a very special family. Our inheritance is God himself. Heirs of God. Heirs of God. Where else can you get that? Who can give such things away but God himself? Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your very great reward. Abram was also an heir of God. God himself was Abram's very great reward. And we, who are counted as the children of Abram by faith, according to Paul in Galatians chapter 3, we are heirs of God, according to Paul in Romans chapter 8. Heirs of God. Many of the things that can be said about Abram can be said about you and I as Christians. 
So there's a few things that I want us to see about this man, Abram. I want us to see, first of all, his very typical humanity. Abram is listed for us as a hero of the faith. Abram is a man to be much respected and admired. Yet, just in the first three verses, we can see a few things about Abram that tell us that he was as human, as weak in the flesh as you and I. Notice that he's a man who suffers from fear. Chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Fear not, Abram. Why would would the Lord tell Abram not to fear? Well, consider what had just happened. There's been a war. Abram got involved in the fight. He got involved in worldly troubles. He made enemies of kings, any number of them. I mean, consider, for example, the king of Sodom. The king of Sodom offered him an alliance. Keep everything. Just let the men come home. It'll be fine. Abram said, I don't want anything of yours. I don't want a cent. I don't want a speck of the stuff that belongs to you because you are never going to be able to say that you made me rich. That's not how you make friends with kings. (laughs) You know, when you refuse someone who is a king with genuine power, that's how you make enemies. But Abram says, no interest. There's nothing you can give me that I need or want. And what about the kings that he had pursued, ambushed and taken back their spoil, their plunder? Think about it. You get back home after the heat of battle. You get back home after the meeting with Melchizedek. You get back home to everyday life and you start thinking to yourself, I've made enemies of a number of kings and all of those guys can raise armies. And it's just me and my household and our few allies. I can raise about 300 fighting men if trouble comes. What does God say to him? Fear not. I am your shield. He's a man who can fear. Notice in verse 2 that he's a man who, like you and I, is under providence that is beyond his control. We're under providence that is beyond our control. All of us like to try and organise things. All of us like to try and plan. All of us hope things will happen in a certain way. All of us have certain dates marked on our calendar. All of us make plans. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23. Jeremiah writes, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself, that it is not in man who walks to decide his ways. All of us have plans. Abram would certainly love to have a child. Oh, Lord God, what will you give me for I continue childless? There are things we don't control. We don't control bodily weakness. We don't control injuries. We don't control ageing. We don't control so many different things. Like you and I, he's a man under providence. You know, I think we all know it. Our, our, our thoughts of control, they're kind of an illusion, aren't they? In the end, we make our plans, we commit them to God, we hope that they come through, but in the end, God can do as he wills. 
with each and every one of us at any given moment and not do any wrong in the doing of it. That's the thing. We've got no claim back against God. None whatsoever. He's a man under providence. I want us to notice one other thing. He's a man of faith. I I don't doubt that he's a man of faith. We're told that he's a man of faith. But just like you and I, he comes up with these plan Bs just in case God doesn't quite handle the situation. Remember when he went down into Egypt, he had a plan B. He said to his wife, look, um, I could have a bit of trouble down here with the Pharaoh, so if anyone speaks to you, just, just tell them you're my sister. Keep quiet about that marriage part. Just plan B. You know, God might not quite be able to look after me, so let's run plan B. Well, look at what he says. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Now, God had already promised him that he would have offspring. If you turn back through um, back through the, the narrative, God promises Abram that his people will indeed possess the land. But he's got a plan, just in case. Just in case, you know, maybe I, maybe I won't live long enough to see a child. You know, maybe, maybe there won't be any of my own children. I've got to find someone who can inherit this stuff. Eliezer, or Eliezer, I should say. He's a good guy. You know, I trust him. I've known him all his life. Just like you and I. Plan B, if God doesn't do that, well, you know, we'll be all right. God will help us. Abram, the man, the hero of the faith. Abram, the man of human weakness and typical human weaknesses at that. But set against that weakness of Abram is God's transforming love. God's transforming love, transforming love. When, it, when Abram fears, God promises. Fear not, I am your shield. Fear not, I am your shield. You see, God is taking someone who was not in and of himself righteous and he is sanctifying that purpose, that, I'm sorry, that person. He is giving that person the character that he desires and the thing that God desires is faith. I am your shield. The nations around about you, fear not. Fear not. They will do nothing unless I permit it. I am your shield. And if they do something, I will still be your shield. Fear not. God assures Abram that God himself is Abram's reward. Isn't it interesting? God's not saying to Abram that the things of this world aren't real. And I'm not saying to you that the things of this world aren't real. Families are good. Children are good. Worshipping generations down through the families are good. The houses that we live in are good. The land that God allows us to have is good. All of these things are good. All of these things are real. All of these things are genuine. These are gifts from God. But the moment we start to think that these things are the ultimate reward, 
the moment we start to think that the things of this world are what we're here for, well, we're a long, long way off the path. Our reward is eternal life in the presence of God. And anything that God gives us in the here and now is nothing more than a promise of greater blessing in the time to come. Abram speaks concerning the world, concerning his family. How can it be? I don't have a child. You know, there's sort of... Abram's name means blessed father. Blessed father. Now imagine he meets some people, some travellers come by on camels, they're trading. And Abram does some trade with them and they sit down to a meal. What's your name, Abram? What does that mean? Blessed Father. Oh, where's your children? Well, I have none. I have none. My name means Blessed Father and I have no children. The things of this world are real, but the things of this world are not the reason we exist. They simply are not. We exist to glorify God. We exist to live in the presence of our God. We exist not for this moment. We exist for eternity. And our destiny is the presence of God for all of eternity, where the blessings are beyond our understanding. We can't see, understand, nor measure the goodness that God has planned for us, for we who are his people. I am your reward, says God. I am your very great reward. It's not the things of this world, though they might be real. And then in verse 5, God takes Abram outside and says to him, look toward heaven, number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So God's promise to Abraham is, or Abram is, you have me, I am your reward, and I am your very great shield. And in time, according to my will, you'll have the children that you so desire. You will have offspring. Back where it says in verse 4, this man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. I mean, it literally says a son from your own loins shall be your heir. You shall be the father of a son. So shall your offspring be. And then at verse 6 we read, And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. You see, one of, the, one of the things that we must learn to do is listen carefully. Listen carefully. Abram heard what God spoke to him, and he got hold of what God was promising. God has promised him protection. I am your shield. God has promised him eternal life. I am your very great reward. And God has also promised him that he will indeed have sons in this life. He will have children 
upon this world. It's, um, it, it makes me think kind of um, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these other things shall be added unto you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Abram listened carefully and heard the promises. And Abram considered carefully the one who was making the promises. And Abram believed God and he counted it to him as righteousness. Is faith a work that could be called righteousness? And the answer is no, it's not. We don't do any work that can be called righteousness. Faith is a gift of God. Faith is the response of a heart that has been awakened to the word of God, to the promises of God. Faith faith is a manifestation of the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of a person. God gives us what he wants. And then when he sees what he has given us manifesting in our lives, he counts it as righteousness. We come to him with nothing. We come to him with empty hands. We come to him with nothing but a need. Our need is to be saved. Our need is to be cleansed. Our need is to have fellowship with God. Our need is to have our walk with God restored to that which it should be, the way that Adam and Eve, before they fell, could talk to God in the garden. That God would speak to them, that God would relate to them, that God would supply their every need. That's our need. And when we believe the Lord, when we believe his promises, we're responding as we ought to respond because God's Holy Spirit is working in our lives. Think of what it says in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. So did we have love before God first loved us? Answer, no, we did not. We love because he first loved us. God called, we answered. And God enabled us to answer. We love because he first loved us. Or think of the things that are said concerning Abram in John chapter 8. Jesus is in a, in a massive public debate, a massive public argument with the Jews. He's pointed out to them that because they will not put their faith in him, they are slaves to their sin and they will die in their sins. He's pointed out to them that they are not doing the things that Abram did. Verse 39 of John chapter 8, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You're doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, he would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies." 
but because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin if I tell the truth? Why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honour my father and you dishonour me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Abraham, saved by our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't often think that way. We think of Abraham having faith in the promises of Yahweh and Yahweh counting those promises to him as righteousness. Yet the Lord Jesus himself puts himself in the place of Yahweh, in this very narrative that we're reading. Truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. Abraham heard promises. Abraham was enabled to see my coming from afar. Abraham heard that I would be his shield and his very great reward. And Abraham believed those promises. Jesus is basically saying to the Jews, you believe in Yahweh and I am Yahweh, the son of Yahweh. Or Jehovah, you believe in Jehovah and I am Jehovah, the son of Jehovah. Now, there's mystery there. How do you understand Trinitarian theology? Well, you believe it. (laughs) You believe that God is Father, Son and Holy Spirit, that the three are eternal, that the Son is eternally begotten, not made. We must believe these things. We believe that there is but one true living God and there are three persons subsisting in the Godhead, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And you say, can you explain it to me better than that? And I say, not really. There is one true living God. He is Father, Son and Holy Spirit at all times, throughout all ages. He has never been anything but Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And when I say to you, the Son is begotten of the Father in a way, I don't know what that means. I'm being honest. In a way, I don't know what that means. And when I say to you that the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, in a way, I don't know what that means. I know that it's true. The Scripture tells me that it's true. I know that it's true. But don't come asking me to explain to you that which a mortal man cannot truly know. I believe it. It's true. I can't technically explain it. Abram... Believed Yahweh 
and he counted it to him as righteousness. It was allotted to him as righteousness. God chose to see Abram as righteous. It's interesting, isn't it, the way people see themselves? The way people see themselves, you know? There are people who see themselves as the greatest, the best. I am the greatest. That was Muhammad Ali. I am the greatest. People tell us how good they are, how much they've achieved. People tell us how we ought to respect them. What really counts? What really counts? Because, you know, all this stuff, it's doomed to pass away. This world, the judgments of this world, the history of this world, the, the opinions of men, it's all doomed to pass away. In the end, how does God see a person? What is God's final pronouncement? What, what about the judge of all flesh, the creator of all creation? How does he see people? What does he say of people? And God awakened faith in Abram and God accounted that faith as righteousness. God says, I see Abram as a righteous man. I see Abram as a righteous man. I've already pointed out to you some of his faults. They continue. In his worldly life, he is not perfect. He falls again in terms of um, putting his wife at risk. He does that twice. And then after his wife dies and after his son Isaac has received his inheritance, he gets hold of a couple of sweet young concubines and raises up children that will, that will be the enemies of his own offspring for pretty much the rest of human history. Yet God accounts him as being righteous. We call it being justified, being declared not guilty in the sight of God, not just being declared not guilty, but actually being declared positively righteous. Abram believed the Lord and he counted, to him, counted it to him as righteous. My friends, when you hear the promises of God, do we believe the promises of God? When God says that this life is but temporary and that the real things are the eternal, do we believe them? And in believing them, do we live as though it's true? Anyone can say they believe. And, you know, it's my experience in the church, and I'm not here to, to, um, to knock anyone down. But if God chooses to use my words to knock someone down, so be it. But it's my experience in the church that children grow up because they love their parents and they want to make their parents happy. They grow up confessing faith and they say they believe in Jesus. And my kids grew up that way. Don't get me wrong. All of our kids, they say they believe in Jesus. But my friends, it's one thing to say you believe. It's another thing to live in the light of true belief. 
You see, if you truly believe it, you live accordingly. You know, if, if, if you believe that getting hit by a truck is likely to kill you, you look left and right before you cross the street. What you believe influences the things that you do. And we can say we believe in Jesus, but if that doesn't actually change the way we live and if that doesn't actually change the way we do things, you have to ask the question, well, do we truly believe it? Do we actually live according to that which we claim to believe? Because, um, as, I, as, as I've said, anyone can say they believe. It's not hard. And in this day and age, people are so confused, you know, they, they can believe 20 different opposing things all at once and not even realise they're doing so. And the truth is they don't actually believe any single thing. But Abram believed Yahweh and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abram believed God's promise of protection Abram believed God's promise that God himself would be his eternal reward. Abram believed God's promise that he would indeed have an heir from his very own loins. Abram believed that he was saved because he was the recipient of the love of God. Abram was accounted righteous through faith. And that righteousness, I mean, and that faith was not a work. It's more a surrender, isn't it? It's more a surrender. The truth that God is beating in upon us, we submit to it. My friends, that which is there applied to Abram, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. That's the promise that is applied to Christians even today. We put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We sought the forgiveness of our sins. We repented of our sins. And in our faith, God accounts us as righteous. And so I say to you now, make sure you've settled it with God and make sure you've submitted to the truth that is revealed and make sure you understand the promises of God. You are actually required to respond in faith. That's the commandment of God. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we give you thanks and we give you praise that through your dealings with Abram, we have learned so much of your character, your grace, your mercy, your willingness to save. Our Father, we thank you that we are counted righteous through faith, for we confess we have no works of our own. No good thing dwells within us, that is, within our flesh. Our only hope is the Lord Jesus Christ, and in him we trust. Father, help us to go forward in obedience to your will, in obedience to the scriptures. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.